Welcome back to our Triune Pod. It is great to be with you all. We have a very special guest, but Ben, first, how are you, my man? I'm good, man. It's super hot and humid up here. We've got this kind of front till Thursday. So I just bought a whole bunch of short sleeved clergy shirts for the very first time. I've always thought they looked made clergy look kind of frumpy and, yeah. and weird, but it's so hot. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I gave into that once I moved to central Texas. They are, they are very lame, but they're uh, very functional. Uh, speaking of functional and not lame, I want to introduce our very esteemed guest. We have the, uh, I don't know, right, Reverend? What's That's the right. title? Bishop? To you, Nick, it's my Lord Bishop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, it's a my Lord Bishop, my father in God, yeah. the, Reverend, the Reverend Dr. Todd Hunter. How are you, Bishop? Hey, great. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Would you give like just a very brief formal introduction, who you are, what you do? Yeah, so my greatest claim to fame is that I uh, was good friends with Nick's parents. So I've known Nick since he was a, a small boy. So that's my big claim to fame. But I'm, a, I'm an Anglican bishop in the Anglican Church in North America. And I uh, oversee a, a diocese called Churches for the Sake of Others. Mm. In addition to all Todd's writings and spiritual direction and all the cool things he does for our church, um, I have two very strong memories of Todd. One is learning to kickflip with his son, Jonathan, in his yes. driveway at his yeah. house in, in your Belinda. Yeah. And also, we spent one afternoon uh, when Todd and Debbie, his wife, were gone, getting, swinging, like him, me and a bunch of neighborhood kids jumping off his roof into the pool. And we would just try and get as far away from the roof as we could to extend our airtime in the pool. It's very very, very good times. Very good times. So just to make that a little bit apocryphal, I saw Nick doing it and said, Nick, knock that off. You're going to be called to be a church planner if you keep that stuff up. <laughs> and the it's prophecy amazing. came true. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you're willing to jump into the deep end, that's a sign. Ooh, that feels I like never a, was. A, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a little book intro, Todd. You know, you can steal, steal that for your next book. <laughs> All right. Well, the purpose of today is to pray the collect uh, and to talk a little bit about it. What collect is this, Ben? Ben is our keeper of liturgical time. Is it proper 11? We're in proper 10. Proper 10. Proper 10. Proper 10. Okay. So, Hopefully Todd, we got the right prayer. To, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's the one that starts with Almighty God. No, just kidding. They all start yeah. with Almighty God. Okay. Collect for today is proper 11, and I'll pray it as we begin our conversation. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance and asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, my Lord Bishop, fountain of all wisdom. God knows our necessities before we ask and our ignorance and asking. What's the good news in there for us? I think it's, it's this, that it, it challenges us to wonder, what is it that we really think about God? Uh, what we really think about God, I think, is not only the most important thing about us as persons, but it's, it's determinative of our prayer life. Um, lots of Christians, even mature Christians, we get full of things that we think we ought to believe about God or that we should think about God. But there are certain things in our actual belief systems that make prayer or relationship with God a practical impossibility. 
So if we really didn't think he was the fountain of wisdom, why would we be asking what I should do about this job interview or do you see what I'm saying? Hmm. I sometimes uh, I enjoy asking people, do you think Jesus was smart? Because everybody thinks he was holy or a sacrifice or whatever, but like, was he smart? Like when he said, I've come to reveal the truth, what did he, well, or if someone, you know, strikes you on one cheek, turn the other, or any of the things that Jesus taught, if we don't actually believe them, it makes obedience to him a practical impossibility. And I think without believing that wisdom is fundamental to who God is in his person, if we don't actually believe that, it, it will definitely make a difference in our prayer life. And that's really good stuff. So these like core basic beliefs about God, that God is, that God is the fountain of wisdom, that Jesus is smart mm -hmm. um, and that, that are so instrumental in shaping how we pray or if we pray uh, before we move on to like the actual supplication in your experience as a pastor, as a believer, like how do you change those core basic beliefs about God and how, how do those things how do those intersect with like formal theological commitments and just, yeah. yeah, that whole realm. Yeah. I think if I just think about that autobiographically, it's been a combination of friendships slash community, um, you know, being with people who cared about this stuff and wanted to draw closer to God. So I think that's an aspect of it. And some of that, you know, was just, you know, 19 year old convert in the Jesus movement, that sort of friendship sitting around, you know, in the seventies, you know, in someone's house talking about the Bible Later in life, it became, you know, a little more formal. So some of it's that, some of it is um, study. But I think the biggest part of it is there's an unavoidable, like, childlikeness to Christian spirituality. It's just trial and error. You just, you just keep plugging away at it. And, and I'm, in the last part of my life here, I've become pretty Ignatian. So I'm just constantly trying to discover what's true about me and God. So if I discover on a certain day that I'm not really tuned into his wisdom or his foreknowledge and that sort of thing, um, I just admit it in sort of a childlike way and say, you know, Lord, help me with that. Or, or you know, the Ignatian thing would be what's underneath that. Mm. Ben, you're pretty Ignatian. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> no, I mean, so actually what this colic does for me is it kind of reminds me of the um, prayer of humble access a little bit. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, the, the story of the encounter, Jesus' encounter with the woman who boldly asks yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus, this is that, you know, scandalous passage where Jesus says, you know, like, you know, uh, I'm not going to throw the stuff for the people of God, the Jews before swine, uh, before the, the dogs, actually, is the, the wording he uses. And she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from underneath the table. So she, according to Tim Keller, who has this great you know, analysis of that text, says she recognizes her unworthiness, but on account of God's goodness, yeah the account of who God is, a proper belief about who God is, who's merciful and moving towards us no matter what. Um, she asks for what she's not worthy of and she's granted to it. And what's really cool about that passage too is, you know, Jesus is kind of like, well, hey, I've been around my male disciples who've been around me all this time and they haven't gotten it, but here's this outsider who gets it. And what she gets is she's unworthy, but we boldly ask anyway. So that's what, <laughs> anything... Yeah. Throw for you on that. 
I mean, as the definitive plagiarizer of Tim Keller in this podcast, I think he <laughs> refers to it as, uh, as rightless assertiveness. Mm. So it's like impudent, it's assertive, it's not apologetic, but it's grounded in God's mercy, not like our own prerogative. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that, yeah, that like Bishop, that notion of, you know, we are, give us those things that we are unworthy or that which we cannot even ask for to see. Yeah, um, yeah what, 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 what's happening there? Um, I, I kind of see those things as relative terms. Like they're not, they're not in this collect to like shame us or make us, you know, feel like these terrible people. But again, with reference to God being the foundation of all wisdom, we relatively speaking are blind and thinking of God's eternal, you know, goodness, we're relatively speaking unworthy. And so I think the accent here is properly not on us to make us feel shameful about that, but a reminder of the perfections of him to whom we pray. Mm. Um, so so seeing if those are relative terms, then, then they're sort of a backhanded way of reminding us that God sees all and is perfectly worthy. Mm-hmm. And, and we come to him as these imperfect but fully loved creatures praying. Yeah. And I've never taken that as like a, a bummer. Like I'm, you know, full, so full of sin yeah. and shame. I've just viewed that as like, look how great God is. Yes. God right. is moving towards me no matter what. And actually births like a desire to be bold. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of things that Nick and I have talked about in previous weeks. Uh, you know, it's all about practice now and deeds yeah. over creeds. But actually creeds matter because what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself right. uh, is, is very important. I mean, your therapist right. will tell you that. Um, yeah. So we've got to know who God is and, right. and his perfect goodness. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you, Ben. And of course, like, right. If you just think of one of the, just think of the creed um, father almighty Um well, you know, we all know what that word almighty means, but, you know, look at how many people struggle. There's sort of an implicit theodicy even in that phrase, Father Almighty. Because if you're almighty, you know, the theodicy is, why can't I get a job? Why is my child at Children's Hospital and there doesn't seem to be any hope? And so, it, again, it challenges us. Do we actually think that he is our father and that he is actually almighty. Hmm. And so, yeah, living into those, those things becoming real to us, as I said, are the most fundamental parts about us and definitely shape our prayer life. Well, final thought here, Todd, I I would love to get your insight onto this notion of like, there's, there's like, there's this this implicit idea, I think in this prayer that we don't oftentimes know what's best for us or know what's good for us. And so Mm -hmm. we can't kind of trap God, like as it relates to life and prayer, kind of locking God into our sense of what we need. Um, So we, you know, give us those things, which for our blindness, we cannot ask that meaning not like a shame inducing thing, but just like, I don't really know what's good for me, but Mm -hmm. Lord, you do. So bring those good things into my life. That kind of model of prayer is pretty different than like a more like simplistic, I want a new car, Lord granted to me. So how is that type of indifference or that kind of staying in neutral, like Lord bring into my life that which you deem proper? Mm -hmm. How has that uh, shaped your your own life of prayer, your sense of how the spiritual life works? 
Yeah, I mean, I want to highlight that. Uh, I don't know if our how many of our hearers would uh, understand the Ignatian context of that word indifference, but indifference in Ignatian spirituality doesn't mean you don't care about anything. It means that the will of God is your one sole goal and everything else is, quote, a matter of indifference in Ignatian's old word. I think for me, you guys, it, it um, leads me to a spirit of yieldedness or a spirit of surrenderedness. Um, and of course, Jesus, you know, is the model for that. I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear him saying, you know, the son has come to do the father's will. And then even John 17, at the end of his life, he basically says, no, Lord, um, I've done what you've given me to do. So this, this, these, the, the phrases in this prayer, um, remind me as we pray it of living a yielded and surrendered life. And again, that's not a bummer. It's for me, that's a very narratival thing. And it like draws me into the life of God, sorry, into the story of God and trying to be drawn into the story of God reminds me of my need to repent, to change, to be willing to like be aligned to this story. And that's what brings up that sort of yieldedness or surrenderedness um, to this big, beautiful story that we're all invited to live in. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from what you were saying earlier, just the right belief about God. God is good. God is for us. Of course we can yield to mm -hmm. this good God. Yeah. So Nick, you, anything else you wanted to add or pray it out? Uh, no, I mean, well, Ben, our, our bishop, would one of you like to pray, close this out? <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one of you has the college in front of you. Maybe I might be the only one. I have it, but oh, he's got Oh, it. yeah, Bishop, Bishop, please, yeah. Of course. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, you know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion upon our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not, and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.